DiscerningHearts.com presents The Final Journey, Insights from a Catholic Deacon and Neurosurgeon with Dr. Stephen Doran. Dr. Doran is a board-certified neurosurgeon with over 25 years of experience and is also an ordained permanent deacon and serves as the bioethicist for the Archdiocese of Omaha. He is the author of To Die Well, a Catholic neurosurgeon's guide to the end of life, the book on which this series is based. His writings in bioethics, neurosurgery, and gene therapy for brain disorders have been widely published in national media outlets, academic journals, and neurosurgery textbooks. He is also the co-founder of Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, The Final Journey, Insights from a Catholic Deacon and Neurosurgeon, with Dr. Stephen Doran. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dr. Doran, thank you once again for joining me. Well, thank you, Chris. So pleased, so blessed to be here today. I think I'd like to just establish once again for the audience that you're also a deacon of the church. And with that, in your heart and mind, this may seem like a silly question, but that gift of being called deacon or doctor, which do you prefer? (laughs) Steve is great. Uh... Oh, that's great. We talked in our first couple conversations about your personal life, your journey in living in this this world, and that is very much has its feet in the secular arena, but then also has a very important heart place for your faith and living this out. And as we begin to have conversations about aspects of dying and some of the things that we may encounter. I think it's, once again, it's such a gift to have you to kind of guide us through all of this. So I appreciate it so much, Steve. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I'm, I'm humbled. I appreciate that a lot. For many of us, one of the first encounters with the decision of whether or not to withhold nutrition from somebody who may be in a coma was the case, at least for me, of the case of Terry Schiavo who was a woman in Florida who had gone into a coma and her husband wanted to pull not medicinal care, maybe more than that, he wanted to remove her food from her, that which she was receiving from a feeding tube, and her family fought her on that. And that's something that you've had to encounter on numerous occasions, haven't you, that making a decision about what do you do with a person who is in that type of coma? Yeah, that's true, Chris. And I think that you'll probably hear me say this more than once in our discussions that, you know, the particular circumstances, the particular problem that someone has as a patient are unique. And that while there's guiding principles that really help us in our decision making, we still have to use clinical judgment and hopefully spiritual judgment in helping guide decision-making in these things. So, so yeah, it's it's something that's come up in my practice, uh, will continue to come up in my practice, and, and something, like you said, that I'm sure people out there have faced this possibility in someone they knew or a loved one, and it uh, it can be a difficult decision, you know, to know what to do under those circumstances. And so, yeah, the idea of uh, whether or not someone should be given some sort of assisted nutrition, medically assisted nutrition, in some ways can be simplified a little bit in saying that we never want to allow someone to starve to death or to die of dehydration. 
And so that becomes, if you if you look at these situations in those terms, the Terry Schiavo case is an example where she was allowed to starve to death, allowed to die of dehydration because she would have otherwise have lived for an extended period of time. She already had lived an extended period of time. And so in that case, that distinction of asking yourself, asking the family, asking the patient, if I take away or I don't administer nutrition, are they dying because of lack of nutrition or hydration, or are they dying because the underlying problem is what's leading to their their death, not the lack of nutrition or or hydration? The term coma, too, it, it's seems like it's such a broad statement, especially after I read that particular chapter, because coma, I think oftentimes we think of someone who is so deep, can awaken, is not connecting, and yet that's not actually what may be occurring. And again, is coma even a word that is properly used today with our understanding of what's going on in the human brain? Well, I think for practical purposes, it still has a lot of utility. It, people understand the word. It, it is a bit of a loaded term, I, I will admit. But even, you know, in, in neurosurgery, there's a very famous scale of how alert or how badly injured someone is, and it's still called the Glasgow Coma Scale. So the word coma still has some utility. But to your point, Chris, you're right. I think this idea that you are either in or not in a coma is I think maybe where that terminology gets a little confusing because how conscious someone is. And, you know, on the one extreme, you and I are fully conscious having a, a reasonable conversation. And then at the other extreme, there's someone who is absolutely non-responsive to any stimulation, their environment, voices, anything like that. But there's a lot of in-between and levels of consciousness. And so the word coma then does become a little bit murky at times, but it's it still has its has its value. We encounter a young guy named Mark in your book, an actual case that you experienced. Yes, yes. Uh, Mark is one one of the one of the patients I first encountered early in my practice, so I had a chance to follow him for quite a few years. Yes, actual case. He was coming home from school, wasn't he? And he ended up a victim of a horrific car accident. And it wasn't his fault, was it? No, it wasn't. It's one of those things that just strike at our gut and we imagine ourselves or we imagine someone we love being in that situation who who is doing nothing wrong and suffers um, a catastrophic injury. And and that was Mark's case. Uh, he had a very severe brain injury and, and he survived. And he had needed long-term nutritional support and his family was very much on board with that idea. They they wanted Mark to live for as long as he could, and they knew that without nutritional support or, or hydration, he would not live very long. And, and they desired for him to live for as long as he was able to live in that in that state. Yeah, the a term that we often hear too is a vegetative state, and unfortunately, and it will be termed that that person is. I even hate saying it. It's just so dehumanizing, but we call them vegetables. If there is a very loaded, inappropriate term, that sense of vegetative state, trying to get that out of people's, you know, vocabulary and describing things. I think, you know, John Paul even kind of pushed back against that idea that, you know, the the use of that word is 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 derogatory in and of itself and we should really 
not ever used terminology like that as it applies to to a person. Yeah, it's very important because it brings about a value in our own minds that because we're not a part of that particular situation and we kind of generalize it in our heads, we think to ourselves, well, I would never want to be in that state. I would never want to be like that. So, of course, that person doesn't want to be that way. And maybe that we need to do a quote-unquote compassionate thing and end their existence. Because well, and, it would seem yeah. to be traumatic, so traumatic. And that's, that's all true. I think, by and large, most people, if given a choice, would not want to be in an impaired level of consciousness. I, I, I think that's very reasonable for people to feel that way. That said, I mean, things happen to us that we would rather not have happened than they do, you know, and um, things out of our control, maybe even things within our control. And so the mere fact that we would want not to be in a certain state doesn't necessarily in and of itself justify decisions that are really, you know, not, you know, moral or ethical. And so we we can't look at a bad situation and try to make it go away by doing something that just just isn't right. So in this particular case for Mark, if I'm not mistaken, he was able to be placed in a wheelchair to be seated, and he may not have been able to necessarily respond to particular commands, but you could tell that there was some type of movement going on within his eyes. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So Mark is a case of, you know, someone who's who isn't in that deep, deep coma necessarily, and he appeared to have, you know, some awareness of his environment, and you would follow certain movements, but he was not, his level of consciousness wasn't sufficient where he could safely eat or drink, for example, and he could not necessarily follow any very specific requests or commands, and that was his particular state. And and you can, in any given patient, there might be variations of those capabilities. You know, maybe someone is able to follow some simple commands. Maybe someone is able to eat or drink a little bit, but not enough to maintain adequate nutrition. So there's a whole continuum, whole range of capabilities that someone might have from a brain injury or a stroke or something like that. So that's why we have to be very cautious that we don't have these blanket statements saying, well, I would never want them to be this way, or they would never want to be this way. Therefore, we're going to make this decision because there's a whole range of possibilities for those those patients. And you know, just much the same that, you know, every, none of us would ever possibly have considered taking Mark or a similar patient and putting him outside with no clothing and no shelter. We would, of course, never do that, right? We would never allow someone to be, to freeze to death or to be exposed to the elements. You know, there's basic needs of shelter and clothing that we just intuitively understand. And I think that same sense, that same kind of gut level of, well, well of course, in the same way that we'd never put Mark outside, expose the elements, of course, we're going to give them nutrition and food. It's it's the same, same fundamental basic need, basic care that we give, you know, as soon as a baby is born until someone dies. So I think that where the problem comes into is this idea that somehow nutrition is is a medical treatment as opposed to care, and that's where you end up with people disagreements come where some people feel like, well, you know, medically assisted nutrition is a medical treatment and therefore can be optional. And, and and I think Catholic teaching would say, no, this is not optional. This is as much a requirement of what we do for every person. We shelter them, we feed them, we clothe them. 
And yeah, the, it was so compelling. There is just this one line where in his story that he could respond to his mother's voice. That says something, doesn't it? It, it certainly does. It certainly does. It's huge. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's funny. There's a little bit of a uh, off topic a little bit, but not too much. You know, when sometimes, say, maybe a patient is more in that acute phase after an injury and they appear, you know, deeply comatose, they're deeply unresponsive. Sometimes the family will ask or imply, well, does it even matter? Does it even matter that I'm here? And I always, always, always say, yes, it matters so much that you're here. First of all, we, on a medical level, we do not understand fully, can no way know for sure what is being perceived by the patient, even if it appears that it's not being perceived, we can't tell. But secondly, there's these spiritual realities that are so powerful and so present that the, the value of someone being by your side, accompanying you in a spiritual sense, is such of importance and can never be overstated. So yes, it's always important that someone is there always important that they're there at their side, even if it appears like there's no level of measurable understanding of their presence. He seemed to have what, am I correct in the terminology, an unresponsive wakefulness syndrome? Correct. Yes. That's a, kind of the, the technical term for, for that. So that helps nudge us away from the broad category of coma. He had a degree of wakefulness in that his eyes would be open and he would appear maybe to be looking around but yet he didn't respond in the normal way. So I think that's where that descriptive term is helpful, that he had this unresponsive wakefulness syndrome. Patients with those have a better prognosis than for those who have no responsiveness at all. And there are some patients who, who really truly have no responsiveness, and so their prognosis isn't as good. We'll return to the final journey with Dr. Stephen Dorn in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essif, Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcast, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. An easy way to help discerning hearts is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our Instagram and Facebook pages are vibrant spaces where you can engage with daily inspirational quotes from the saints, streaming DH broadcast encounters, and updates about our latest offerings. On our YouTube channel, you'll find a treasure trove of video podcasts, interviews, guided meditations and prayers, and reflections from renowned spiritual leaders. These resources are carefully curated to provide guidance, wisdom, and insights that can help you discern life's challenges with a sense of purpose and peace. 
By subscribing, following, and engaging with Discerning Hearts on these platforms, you're not only enriching your own spiritual journey, but also helping to spread awareness of our mission. Every like, share, and comment helps us reach more people who are seeking meaningful growth and connection. So, please take a moment to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, and then share with a friend. Join the Discerning Hearts community and embark on a transformative spiritual journey alongside fellow seekers. Your engagement not only benefits you, but also contributes to the growth and impact of Discerning Hearts. We now return to The Final Journey with Dr. Stephen Doran. So in Mark's particular case, he eventually did pass, didn't he? He did. He did. And which is oftentimes the case in someone who's suffered a severe injury, neurological injury, especially brain injuries, but quite honestly, even patients with severe spinal cord injuries, that the lack of mobility, the depressed immune system, all those things leave the patient more vulnerable to infections, more vulnerable to medical events that if they were otherwise healthy, they'd be able to fight off. So Mark still died at a young age, but he lived for quite a few years. But yes, because of his underlying brain injury, that made him very susceptible to to other injuries. Now, in Mark's case, you were dealing with parents and family who wanted to continue um, allowing him to receive the type of nutrition that he needed to sustain his life so he didn't starve. I would imagine there have been times, I I don't want you to dive into anything that is too personal, but many, many doctors, many families have come and requested that nutrition to be removed. And maybe this is where it becomes important to bring the Catholic perspective into the conversation for those who, at the very least, profess themselves to be Catholics. Yeah, and that is that is true, that there are situations where family members may, may request that either nutritional support be removed or, or, or more often probably that it never be initiated and keep in mind that can be a very appropriate request. I mean, not every patient, and quite frankly, the vast majority of patients that we see do not have medically assisted nutrition hydration, that their underlying medical condition quickly leads to their death. And so there there really isn't a need to even consider that as a possibility. That said, there certainly are patients who initially the prognosis may not be entirely clear. You don't know how long someone's going to live. And so it's clear that whatever it is is going on is they're they're likely to live at least for the coming weeks or longer. So then in that situation, then you're you're going to have a strong bias towards providing that nutrition and hydration. But as I said at the beginning, you, you really need to look at each of these circumstances and understand that you can't make a blanket statement for all patients. And also keep in mind there's that there's this term we use in medical ethics called some will use the term whether a treatment is burdensome, overly burdensome or not, or ordinary versus extraordinary. Those are terms that are used interchangeably, meaning that the a, a treatment that's burdensome or extraordinary is where the burdensome treatment is where the benefits are far outweighed by the, the detrimental things, the risk or the bad side effects. So you might run into a situation, for example, where it was certainly appropriate to give someone medically assisted nutrition and hydration, say, through a feeding tube. But as time goes on, as their condition progresses, that treatment may, what was once appropriate and ordinary, can become burdensome and extraordinary. Say, for example, they stop being able to digest the food. That happens as people's bodies to shut down towards the end of life. Or 
say someone who is their underlying condition creates this agitation where every time you put in a feeding tube, they immediately pull it out. So you have to weigh out that the decision not to give medically assisted nutrition or hydration, that decision can evolve over time and why you have to always keep in mind these basic ethical principles at every step along the way. Yeah, I know in my own mother's case, God rest her soul, it had gotten to the point when she was in hospice that she stopped eating and then they gave her assistance. But then her body just started shutting down, as you said. There was just the, where it was no longer helpful for her because she couldn't process it. And that has, as you said, has to be taken into account too. And that's why it's so important that when a family is going through this, if they have somebody who can not only guide them medically, but also has that type of spiritual component, because these are heavy decisions, aren't they, Steve? Yes. And I think what's what's so beautiful about our Catholic tradition is that knowing, first of all, that heaven is our ultimate destination, right? Yet also we're here on earth for a reason, for a purpose. Keeping those two things both healthy tight helps guide in how we approach the world, right? So I've seen the, the two extremes where people are so afraid to die. They're so afraid to what comes afterwards. And so there's this desperation. There's this clinging to to something that's not going to stay. We all know we're going to die, but there's some people who are just so fearful or they don't have a faith life that all they think is going to happen after death is just darkness, and that scares them so much. So that's the one extreme, you know. And then there's other people who, who want to hurry the process along and, you know, they want to get to heaven so quickly. Well, you know, the Catholic tradition is saying, well, you're going to get there in God's time, not your own time. You know, all these things are in God's time. And so we, we have to be able to have our faith and what we believe and our love for God inform the practical decisions that, w- that we're required to make in these situations. Yeah, I think that that's part of the blessing of being able to kind of begin to look at these particular cases, find out the, the complexities of each one, because they're all different, and that there is a danger if we begin to look at things too much with generalizations and blanket statements, and that's, are we not encountering something like that around the world with some of the laws that are coming forward in regards to the state making the decision as opposed to, say, the doctor and the family? Yeah, I think I think you, you're touching on something really important here where there's this mounting tendency in different countries, whereas you might have an individual who's been severely impaired and family members are wanting to continue treatment for whatever it might be. It might be something neurological, it might be something else. And government agencies making this judgment on that, well, this life for whatever criteria they want to use is really not worthy of this treatment and coming in and imposing rules that, well, you've got to take treatment away. The the prognosis is terrible. This patient's going to die no matter what. So we're going to force you to abandon therapy. So yeah, there are mounting pressures, legal pressures that we have to be mindful of and be able to push back against. And for many reasons, I mean, certainly at a spiritual level, but also just on a, you know, a, a person's inalienable right to life. And we, we need to be very mindful of these pressures that are growing. One of those pressures, too, is quite real, at least in the United States. We have listeners around the world right now, but in the United States, we're dealing with health care issues. 
and insurance companies who will only pay for particular types of care. The hope is that this isn't one of those things that they would want to deny somebody without the approval of the family and the doctor. I haven't seen that yet, Chris. I mean, uh, thanks be to God. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I have not heard of situations where insurance has denied the use of nutrition or hydration. But anything's possible, and, and we don't know what financial pressures may evolve into in the future. So at least we know what to look out for and fine print and all kinds of different things. And I guess closing this particular episode, is there anything, Steve, that you would like to share as far as maybe counsel or advice or just maybe for a family or even a physician or those who are working with those in this particular state? Any counsel? Yeah, I think, and I think we'll probably talk about this more in detail down the road, Chris, but what I would encourage people who are listening to this to have conversations in advance to be very cautious about trying to set up some sort of medical document that outlines strictly certain things that I want or don't want, because it's impossible to anticipate the circumstances down the road. The best thing that anybody can do is to find someone that they trust who shares their faith, who that person becomes the decision maker in the event that they can't. Again, we'll get to this later, the medical power of attorney. That's the most important. There's only one thing you need is someone to make that decision for you when you can't. As soon as you try to kind of outline the list of, I want this, I don't want that, you're just no way you can anticipate what the future might hold. So, So that means having a conversation. That means having a conversation with someone you trust, someone you love, someone who shares your faith, so that you can be confident that whatever decisions are necessary, they're making them based upon what they truly believe to be best for you and best for you as a whole person, not not a collection of organs, but you as a whole person, they can make those decisions. Well, I think that the medical, help me again, is the advanced directive or it's the medical? Yeah, advanced directives are an umbrella term and a medical power of attorney would fit under that umbrella. So typically you would would have under advanced directive potentially a list of procedures or situations where you'd want something or not want something. And a medical power of attorney is part of that advanced directive. Really the only part of your advanced directive you need, in my opinion, and and in the opinion of, I think, most Catholic ethicists, is you really only need a medical power of attorney. You don't need the other parts of an advanced directive. Thank you. And I'm sure we're going to be saying this over and over again. I know my husband and myself have done that. For whatever reason, there's this wall that you don't want to have those conversations. I, and I'm not exactly sure in my own case or my husband's case why we, we didn't even want to go there. But it's actually an act of love. And actually, it, it's an act of hope, it, especially when you know that God, hope being that God keeps his promises and he is bigger and stronger than we are. And so it's going to be okay. And this takes the burden off the family in a way because they, in a strange way, because you know and you've discussed it and you're not alone, right? Correct. Yes. Well said. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephen Doran. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to The Final Journey, insights from a Catholic deacon and neurosurgeon with Dr. Stephen Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, Visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, 
that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Final Journey, Insights from a Catholic Deacon and Neurosurgeon with Dr. Stephen Doran.